You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we'll be talking about some games played, followed by some upcoming games, and then our top three favorite trick-taking games. This is episode 32, and we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. So, it is October... So when we get into games played, I'll be talking about some games that uh, I would probably only play during the year or during this month. Um, I was just curious, Risto, because in the States, Americans kind of go crazy for holidays in general, but October is like extremely prevalent here. And I was just wondering, growing up in Bulgaria, did you was it as prevalent out there as it is out here? Uh, Halloween definitely not even recognized when I was growing up. It just kind of doesn't exist. Kind of sad actually. There's a, a holiday, not really a holiday that people take off of work or anything, but there's a holiday about chasing evil spirits away or something, and that's in the winter, kind of later. I think it happens like February or something or March, if I remember correctly. Uh, this is kind of horrible because I just kind of have no idea. <laughs> but it's more like a folk holiday and the uh, masks or the dressing up as evil spirits is very kind of traditional and folk kind of oriented. It's not really even commercialized at all, hardly. So yeah, no, not really. Uh, Halloween was not a thing growing up at all. So it's kind of a difference here in the U.S., yeah, I was just, I've been curious about that because I know that Samhain originated from Europe and Bulgaria is in Europe. So not even trick-or-treating, huh? Yeah, no. Um, no, I think it's maybe a German thing. I don't know. I know the, I know England actually, I think, or the UK has some kind of Halloween stuff, but even there I think is not a big deal. I think it's pretty much a US thing actually. Yeah. Uh, do you Do you enjoy playing horror games for the month of october yeah yeah it's good um unfortunately like you have been saying previously i don't think there's a lot of really well designed or elaborate horror games they tend to be kind of towards more the uh just kind of lighter games in general and just kind of quicker and mostly kind of play them for the theme not so much for the gameplay but yeah, there's uh, we have a few actually. We were just thinking about what we're gonna play on Mondays, and uh, yeah, there's a few that are actually pretty good. So I actually recently played one. It's uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion: Call of the Spirits from Funko Games, and it, the design team of Prospero Hall, which they designed a ton of games that we typically call target games, but uh, some ones to note like Horrified, Back to the Future, Back in Time, and Villainous. So this game is basically a drafting game, except you're in what's called the Endless Hallway, and it's just spaces kind of adjacent to each other in a circle, and then there's the seance room right in the middle, and the circle is a Lazy Susan. So like on your turn, you could rotate the Lazy Susan basically to any spot that you want to be. And these spots, like in the endless hallway, are attached to rooms of the Haunted Mansion. And those rooms are just placeholders for cards. And the cards are ghosts. And it has 
really like nice art on it that is um very like old disney style art of different ghosts that you would see in haunted mansion the ride because that's what this is designed after and what you're going to be doing is you could rotate you can move to an adjacent spot or into the seance room or you could draft cards uh you have three actions on your turn so it's just like an action point allowance system and when you're drafting cards, you're getting these cards and that's going to be your points. And it's just set collection. And the set collection is like very basic set collection stuff that we've seen in other games. Like, um, you know, those cards that kind of cascade. Like if you have one card, it's one point. Two cards, it's four. And et cetera. If you have like five of the same type of card, then you'll get 25 points. They have some that are sort of press your luck. Where if you have one, it's three points. If you have two, it's zero points. But if you have three, it's like 15 points. But anyway, there's all kinds of different cards that have these kind of set collection aspects to them. And then cards that will maybe let you boost other cards, like one point for this card, and then two points for each of this type of symbol that you have. Also, there's some action cards where you get to draw the top card of a deck um, or discard haunt cards now haunt cards are bad things because at the end of the game whoever has the most in value and they come in like one through three uh you have to discard your biggest stack of cards of the same type so you could lose a ton of points from them so you're getting those in various ways one way is at the beginning of the round the classic hitchhiking ghosts um, are going to move and you'll draw a card and it'll tell you which direction you're, that they're moving and how many spaces they're going. If they move through your spot, you get a haunt card. If they land on your spot, you get two haunt cards. You can get rid of them because you can go into the seance room and for an action, you can discard a haunt card and you can only do that once per turn. The other thing you could do that's once per turn is duel. So you have two of these little dials that you have and if you're on somebody's spot, you can pick a card of theirs that you're trying to duel for and you're both putting numbers on these duels they go from zero to three and what you're bidding is how many haunt cards you're willing to take to get one of their cards and if you tie tie goes to the defender but if you get more than the defender then you get to steal their card from them otherwise they get to keep it however in any case both of you have to take cards equal to the value that you put on the dial in haunt cards so <clears throat> kind of a typical game from from uh, prospero hall the theme comes through very nicely and it's very simple i would say this is a family weight game but definitely fun um not a lot a of deep strategy in this one and there is some take that and some luck that uh that might hurt you pretty badly and of no fault of your own, but it's really quick. We played a five player game and with some, a couple of slow players and it was under an hour. It was about 50 minutes. I played it two player with my wife. It was 16 minutes is all it took. Um, <laughs> it balances pretty decently. It's just like an, um, when a two player game, just less cards come out and you're going to have more rounds that you're going to play through. It doesn't feel that great at two because I think there was one duel between my wife and I. And in the five player game, there was tons of duels and the duels 
when I read the rules, I thought, I don't know about this. This seems like some take that stuff. I could steal a card that you took an action to get. But it ended up being like pretty fun and a good way to kind of go after the leader would be the obvious one. Or what was happening in our game, what I found interesting was, you know, none of us want the most haunt cards because then that would totally wreck your game. So uh, we found a, a, a an interesting way of getting haunt cards to other people where you'd go after them. You'd say, I'm getting this card, which was a huge card for them, like a good swing of points. They put three, you put zero on yours. So you weren't even trying to take it, right? You're just giving them haunt cards. Now they could have, you know, kind of said like, I don't think they need that card and their haunt cards are piling up. Maybe I'll put zero too and absolutely nothing happens. And you just make make them waste an action. But it was very interesting of how how the duels were to to happen. And even if you're not involved, you're you're still interested in in what's going on. So overall, I thought it was a, a good game. Uh, I like it. I would recommend it. It plays two to six, and it's pretty quick. And that is Disney: The Haunted Mansion, Call of the Spirits. Cool. Yeah, I actually didn't hear what the game was, so I was looking at a different Disney game, but it sounds like kind of a family game with Take That and probably fine with that. You're actually becoming quite a fan of Prospero Hall, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. games that you're playing with. No, no, that it would sound like it, right? But I don't know if I'm like a fan, if but if I'm just curious. Because I do it's think so that weird. they... I know. I do think that they do theme very well. And I think that's the thing is they're, the themes that they choose appeals to me very much. Like I love Haunted, huh. I love Haunted Mansion, the ride. And I like The Shining and classic monsters and Jaws and Back to the Future. I love all that stuff. And there's not a lot of good options, if any, for any of those IPs. So I think they do a decent job. Also, I play with my in-laws and these are like perfect games for them. They always enjoy them. It's very easy to teach. They're not getting confused. Everybody's in the game when we start playing. And yeah, that to me is good, you know. Yeah. I so I don't know if it would work out. I might bring it and try it with you guys. I, I would like to see how the how the gaming group some seasoned gamers would would feel about it because you know, I kind of have a biased opinion because I I like the theme and I really like set collection. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it seems okay, actually. I don't know. I feel okay about uh, their games, the few that I've played. Actually, I've been kind of interested in Pan Am. That's the only one oh, that yeah. came out lately that I'm kind of curious about and kind of want to play actively. Other than that, these games are not even on my radar, I think. So it's interesting to hear about them. Uh, anyway, I guess I will talk about uh, Frostpunk, the board game. The game is actually on BGG at number one right now, apparently. I just went and checked. Um, I kind of have actually, we. Uh, so uh, I was kind of curious about it and the Kickstarter was going on and we're thinking about what game to play on Tabletop Simulator. And uh, we were just like, okay, well, we can play some other stuff for that. And we just decided to play that yesterday. And I've ended up playing it like 
four times now because three times sorry three times uh we played it actually twice because we failed really quickly the first time uh there was a win uh, losing condition uh and it's a co-op game so we failed really quickly and the second time we kind of played like five rounds out of 12 that you're supposed to survive and failed uh and then i played it today solo and uh I'm thinking about playing it again and actually recording it and uh, probably I'm going to publish it and see. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious and I was going to ask some people to look at it on BGG or whatever the Kickstarter because uh, it seems to me that the game is actually literally like impossible the way it is right now. Um, maybe we're really bad at it. I'm actually going to try something uh, probably right after the podcast right now actually. Nice uh, punishing game to start the week with. <laughs> before a monday so i don't know but um it feels like the game is just ridiculously impossible right now and uh, even with like some action efficiency stuff uh, i don't know if i'm doing something wrong uh, the rules are actually very alpha as well and the game is surprisingly doing extremely well on kickstarter i think it's like up to 1.2 million right now uh, so I I don't know I'm actually very confused about pretty much all of uh, Adam Kwapinski I think is the guy uh, all of his games uh, some other games that he's created uh, Lords of Hellas Nemesis actually he did in between as well I was looking at the list of games he's made and now Frostpunk uh, Frostpunk is actually a PC game it used to be kind of like this War of Mine but uh, I never played the PC game. I just looked at it and it looked really cool. It just never went on sale and I usually wait for sales for games lately uh, on PC and not only. Um, but it received some kind of awards and it looked really good. The theme is really, really cool. Actually, the game is uh, you're surviving in a uh, post-apocalyptic wasteland and it's all snowy. Uh, so it's all cold, and uh, it's like a retro-futuristic game, I guess, because I think that's why it's called Frostpunk, because it's like steampunk, but with frost instead of steam, I guess. <laughs> but there's kind of retro technology, and there's a reactor in the middle of the village, which you actually feel with coal, so I don't know how much of a reactor it is, more like a furnace or something. But uh, it looks really cool, and it's like a super tall structure, and it's actually going to be a cube tower in the physical game. Um, in the PC game, it's just a really tall structure in the middle, and the city or the settlement, whatever, is organized in a circular way around it. And there's a pretty significant mechanic of heating, basically. Uh, and the more you feed it coal, the more it heats around it. So, like, the closest areas are easier to heat than the furthest areas. So, there's, like I say, there's a pretty big uh, heating and sickness mechanic. So, if you uh, take actions, you check if the areas are heated. If the areas are not heated, generally you kind of get sick um, and you start actually losing people. Uh, the theme is actually kind of really kind of, I would say, like mature, graphic in a way, maybe. Uh, there's things like you can enact uh, child labor laws. So you start with like these children and basically they don't do anything. Uh, but there's meeples there. And uh, if you want them to do something, you can make a law to uh, basically uh, start child labor. But that costs you some kind of like uh, negative, uh, what is it called? The opposite of hope. Discontent, <laughs> uh, I think, tokens is what it's called. Discontent tokens? I think that sounds about right. So basically 
basically it kind of measures the state of your society i guess are they hopeful or are they discontent and why are they discontent there's like greedy tokens there and anger and indifference and whatever the hopeful ones are care and whatever um so there's there's a mechanic there which affects you with possible events that you might draw throughout the game um actually the game very uh, is very 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 similar to this war of mine i was almost wondering uh i don't think adam krapinski designed this war of mine but it feels very similar basically you do some kind of very limited actions around the board maybe build buildings gather some resources heat whatever um, and then some events happen to you, and there's a lot of kind of systems in the game that run. Uh, so there's like, like I say, sickness, you have to manage sickness, you have to manage heating, you have to manage actually feeding on top of that. There's a food counter, um, and you have to manage the state of the society, I guess, so like hope versus discontent uh, or whatever. So... That feels very like this war of mine. Uh, you can get some events that are incredibly punishing and just kind of really wreck your game. And I think to succeed, you have to be extremely lucky, not just with events, but also like really play well. I think I don't know. I've actually, I've with my three playthroughs, I never even came close to having like an engine or something that uh, sustains me. I can't see how you're gonna actually make it in that game. It seems really hopeless. Um, the way it is designed right now, but maybe I'm doing something wrong, hopefully, I don't know. Uh, it actually makes me almost kind of angry <laughs> because some people on Kickstarter and stuff and uh, have said they uh, that, like it was easy, and I was like, are you kidding me? The, I don't know. The, I think they're playing something wrong, though. I, I saw a video and I noticed some mistakes at the beginning and I replied, and I think people are missing like really significant rules with how the systems work. Um, but I was kind of amazed for a game that's doing so well, like in money, money-wise on Kickstarter, the rules currently are just kind of a really kind of alpha version, in my opinion. It's almost like, uh, he sat down and designed it like two weeks ago or something, you know, it doesn't feel tested at all. It feels like the systems are there, but, um, they're kind of not really balanced, uh, in so many ways. So I actually kind of feel the same way with how Nemesis was. The rules uh, during the Kickstarter actually changed significantly uh, a year later when the game was released. So I think like their um, strategy or whatever is to just kind of release the game with really good graphics and um, just kind of graphic design and miniatures actually that's and pretty components, big deal. right yeah but but the game itself it just doesn't feel like it's really there right now which is kind of interesting so people are kind of backing on hope i think or just yeah basically hope that it's going to be um, balanced and done yeah the rules say alpha and stuff so they're not really well written or organized but uh my like I say, I think I'm doing everything right. Uh, so yeah, I'm. Uh, I actually will maybe post a link to the playthrough. I'll just record it on TTS with some commentary, and uh, I'll see what people reply with. I'm actually really curious. I've never been in this situation where I've played a game while the Kickstarter is going on, and like 
just kind of been engaged in it that way so that's interesting but i've played it like i say like three times now about to be four so yeah the people i played it with didn't really like it so much either i also think it's a solo game really um the way the game works is if multiple people are playing you control just meeples but the meeples are the same so basically you're playing like a worker placement game the main mechanic is kind of worker placement but you're playing it with just the same group of meeples whether you play with one or five people so like you just talk about stuff but you end up doing basically what's best and sometimes what's best is kind of obvious and you take one turn each it's kind of like this war of mine like i felt that way with this war of mine it was kind of fun because of the stories but ultimately i think you're gonna have just as much of a good time if it's just you or like two people maximum as opposed to five i think five people doesn't really add anything other than just talking about stuff the game is literally the same and it's the same with frostpunk i think it's like a solo or two-player game uh, I would probably not sit down to play it with like three or four. It just kind of doesn't seem worthwhile. So that makes it into a really weird like niche. And I think I'm not getting it anyway, but I'm just curious, like I say, if I'm just completely off on the rules or something, because it seems impossible to me. But yeah, that's Frostpunk, the board game. Kickstarter is going to be done in like a week and a half, I think. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I think it was a review that you did on BGG of it, uh, written. I kind of enjoyed reading through that and hearing your pain. <laughs> oh, not the review, but yeah, I just kind of complained so, mostly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize people actually read it. Yeah. Yeah, I read it. Um, would you say if it was if it was easier, maybe if the, they worked out the kinks that you would actually enjoy it? Uh, like I say, it's a really weird game. The biggest obstacle, I guess, so to speak about the game is I think it's really a solo game. So would I enjoy it playing solo? Actually, <laughs> maybe I would if, uh, if I felt like it was doable and things worked well, because there's supposed to be a campaign with uh, 12 missions or whatever. And yeah, it probably develops very similarly, but the story should be interesting. Uh, basically their example campaign is there's some people that are lost somewhere and there's these expeditions you can send your people on and get them so that's kind of what you have to accomplish by the end of the game so yeah um, I don't know uh, I would not get it to play with three or four people I think that's just a complete miss if you are hoping to do that there's just nothing except just talking about stuff if you play with three or four like in pandemic for example pandemic is actually very kind of similar but you at least have like different meeples and you are one of them you know so at least you're like engaged in some like personal way uh, or like uh isle of gosh what's it called forbidden desert forbidden uh island oh, at yeah. least you're like one of the meeples you know so yeah. it's like that's you in this game you're all the same thing you're all the same group of meeples and you all take the same action so it's just like are you gonna do it or am i gonna do it you know what i mean it's kind of weird so i i would only play it solo i think yeah it's it does sound a lot like this war of mine i thought the fun part about this war of mine playing with other people because you're kind of like all playing like gods hovering down on this board and making decisions for these characters was the story like that is what kept me engaged to want to play it with other people is because 
we would kind of laugh at our mistakes together and it just made it more enjoyable i thought to play it as a group and also like everybody was curious about what would happen next because that's kind of that this war of mine is more of a game that you would probably put away and kind of press pause on and it does actually have a like a tray to to pause the game yeah and if the story's not there i don't know if i would want to play a game like this war of mine with multiple people maybe maybe one person i think the story is there but it's weaker and i think the game is stronger because you do have kind of action efficiency concepts and resource management quite a bit in uh frostpunk and kind of just keeping tracks in check so this war of mine was more about i mean very similar but i feel like frostpunk is more on the game side and less on the story side i see well the next game i have to talk about is actually a co-op game as well but it's much easier than than what frostpunk sounded like it's another disney game by prospero hall this time from Ravensburger. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. I got these together. I just pre-ordered both of them, and then they came to my house the day they came out. So I played both of them back to back. The last time I played games with my Should in-laws. Become a Prospero Hall ambassador if that's a thing or something. Hey, or we like get sponsored by Prospero <laughs> Hall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, this game, this game plays two to six, and it's co-op. Um, it's it's themed after the movie Hocus Pocus. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's about these three ancient witches in Salem. And these kids on Halloween light a black flame candle and bring them back. And then the kids are trying to undo their mistake the whole time. And that's pretty much what you're doing in the game. Although it's just like cards with, with, um, with ingredients on them. Like Dead Man's Toe, which is from the movie. And Oil of Boil. You know, stuff that you would put in a cauldron. Um, you're trying to stop the witches. You're trying to stun them three times. And there's three different witches, and they ask for different things to be stunned. So you have this cauldron in the middle, and it's just a circle with places for cards. You have five ingredients and five different colors, and the ingredients could come in any different color. And on your turn, you ask a question. You could either ask a color or an ingredient type. So, for example, you could say, does anyone have dead man's toes? And we'd go around and you would either say yes or no. You can't specify how much you have. And then you play a card. When you play a card, you could either play it on a matching ingredient type or a matching color. So kind of like Uno style. And what you're trying to do is collectively you're trying to make the top part of all the card decks either be like all one ingredient and all one color and that would stun one of the big witches like Winifred or all of one color and I don't remember the third one but basically you're just trying to manipulate the piles of cards into the right order with very few like very like um, almost no conversations really uh, there's different tokens in the game too that allow you to do something once per game. There's also like this, this uh, the cat Binks comes out, and if Binks is in front of you, you can play cards in front of you so everyone could see. So that could be very helpful. And then the sometimes the cards will have a spell, so then the witches will cast a spell and something bad will happen. 
it's uh it's really simplistic and it's really easy we beat the game no problem it's really short and i don't actually like this one to be honest <laughs> it was just like too simple the theme didn't really come through that well i mean yeah you're playing ingredients cards into a pot into a cauldron to like try to combat the spells of the witches but it didn't really feel like hocus pocus except for some of the card art really and most of the cards are just ingredients so it's not even there within the cards it was just too easy and too simple and not very fun uh, there's a lot of games like this where you're playing cards with limited communication and i think there's a lot better ones out there i think if you love hocus pocus like the movie i don't know if this would do much for you so for me it's something that I would not want to play even once a year because uh, Risto and I have joked that <laughs> that uh, October is the time to play dumb games. And we're not trying to rag on any of the games that we'll, we'll eventually talk about. It's just not really games of our type, like really simple kind of easy games. But this one, I, I don't think I would want to play even once a year just because it's just kind of plain. The theme doesn't come through that much. And the mechanics isn't that interesting. So, unfortunately, it was um, a miss for me, and that's Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus the game, because there's a few different Hocus Pocus on BGG. Yeah, from the description that you are uh, that you were describing the game with, it sounded like Spy Kids, actually. Spy Club, sorry, Spy Club. Yeah. Uh, kind of very similar play cards and stuff happens, and people actually didn't like that because it was supposedly too easy. I actually think it's a really cool game, kind of childish as well, but I think it kind of brings me back to the theme, actually kind of is fun in, in that one for me. So I think that without the theme, yeah, probably it wouldn't feel so good. And this doesn't sound like the theme is really coming through. Yeah, yeah. Um, sp I think Spy Kids is better. I think it's more interesting. It also reminded me of those... Spy um, Club, actually. Spy but Club, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, it also kind of reminded me of those games that you like, what, the fireworks? Hanabi, yeah. Hanabi. I thought about Hanabi, but not really. Uh, it sounds like very easy. <laughs> but yeah. Yes, yes. What I mean by just the, the playing cards in the right order. That's really it. Yeah, yeah, the interesting yeah. part about Hunabi, Hanabi is is your cards are facing your other player and you're giving them information that way. That's the that's the interesting part about it. Or the the Baker Street one too, yeah, where it has a little bit more Baker of a theme Street. on it. Beyond Baker Street, yeah. So like that's that's the games that I would suggest if somebody was like, "Ooh, this mechanic seems very interesting," I would actually push you towards those games instead of this one. Yeah. Uh Another game I played finally with another person is Circadian's First Light. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about it, but I've talked about it previously. Uh, I, we just played two players instead of me playing a solo game. And actually, the game was actually not bad. Uh, we, I expected it to be way more blocky because, yeah, like there's one or two spaces for a lot of actions on the board. But it kind of worked out in a weird way. Uh, we actually did very different things as well, kind of not really but kind of and our scores were really close at the end so uh, perfectly balanced right i don't know i don't know about that i think my complaints previously still stand about the events which might favor the first player more than the other players because of limited spaces and just kind of situational things that happen to you but overall actually i was kind of uh, it wasn't as blocky as i thought so we have a new mission now uh play it three player because i think three player is going to be the real blockiness test 
because a lot of the boards don't change at all between three or four. Um, so I'm kind of curious how that would feel. But actually, yeah, not not as bad as I thought. Might be uh, playable with two. That might be like the game that I've played the most that I'm kind of not interested in buying. <laughs> just, I just keep playing it, I guess. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, Circadian's First Light finally played it. Uh, not solo, and it was actually pretty okay. So, yep. Also, we both played Alma Mater, which is by the Italian design team that brought you Coimbra. And part of the design team that brought you Lorenzo Magnifico. Yep. Um, gosh, do you want to describe this game? Uh, I just want to say that this is more going to be initial impressions. I didn't yeah. even want to talk about it until I played it like three or four times. But what is the game? The game is, I don't even know what the theme is. I can't remember. Basically, <laughs> you're running a university or are you running it or are uh, you actually a student? I think you're running it because you're actually hiring professors yeah, that's as right, well yeah. as students. So I think uh, basically you're doing some resource management actions so that you can get enough resources to books, actually, enough books of certain types to uh, get students to be interested in your university and to get professors to, I guess, teach in your university. So the game is mostly about actually kind of resource management. I think it's pretty much resource management game. You're producing books. You're writing them, I guess, so very thematic. Um, it's easier to write uh, or to get your own books. I guess it's easier to write your own books in a way. Uh, there's an action where you can generate like a lot of them um, and you can keep them in your library for steady income or you can uh, kind of keep them in your supply for spending on actions um, and there's actions where you can uh, get other people's books and uh, to get other people's books you actually buy them with money and there's a whole mechanic of how cool your books are basically based on uh, quality of research and stuff there's a research track and the higher you are on that the cooler your books are meaning uh, there's certain actions which require books that are of a certain quality basically you need books to attract certain types of students or professors or whatever so because of that research track someone's books might be valued higher or lower so actually i think that's the biggest uh, unique thing in the game is it's kind of a closed economy and it kind of reminded me of container in a little bit in a way because there's a resource which is books and actually the valuation of it changes depending on how uh, actually, in this game, how high you are on the resource track. In Container, it was based on secret goals, so someone might value some color more. Here, it's visible which one is more valuable, but it changes. So someone might overtake someone on research, and then their books are cooler and more valuable and whatever. Um, also, there's a kind of a closed economy of circulation similar to Kalos and other games where there's a certain amount of money in the game and you kind of end up giving it to each other because I buy your books for money and then you buy my books for money and then I buy someone else's books for money. So basically it's like changing hands all the time. And then with the books you end up uh, hiring students and professors. So yeah, I don't know. Am I forgetting something? <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, that's pretty much it. I mean, wh what do the students and the professors do? They may, they boost your turns, right? I mean, they make your actions better and uh, allow you to do more stuff. Um, yeah, kind of kind, kind of, of engine, engine building. Part of the yeah, game, I think. Um, Sorry. Yeah. 
I uh, my first impressions of it is that I actually really like it. I like the uh, economy. I thought it was very interesting how you're kind of depending on people to buy your books to generate money. But then, yes, then you might even give it right back to them. Christo might buy books from me, and then my next turn, I might buy Christo books right back and give him the money right back. Money didn't feel tight in our game for the most part. There were some turns where I was kind of stressing on it, and it's worker placement. I don't know if you said that. That's kind of how you're doing things is you're going to worker placement yeah. spots. Uh, um, a spot You have a spot on your own, too, and you can have multiple ones. You can get... Uh, I think students that will allow you to get another worker placement spot on your own board. And it's kind of like the um, Manhattan project where if, if Christo puts a meeple out, then I could put two meeples out um, to go to the same spot. But uh, yeah, I, 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 it's definitely a game that needs more play, but I think before we can get too into it, but my first impression is very positive. I had a good time playing it. Um, it just seems like obstacles that you're trying to and the obstacles are just books how do i get people's books really and you're building up piles yeah. of books to get students and professors and they're going to ask for different types of books and like christo said if you're higher up on the track then your books are going to be more attractive so there's incentive to build boat to boost yourself on the track but there's um requirements that you need to meet to go to the next spot and then when you get to the top of a section, it's going to be a benefit, but you better be ready for that benefit. Because um, it might require spending even more resources. Yes. Usually yes. to go up on the track, research track, you have to spend resources. So it's kind of like I have to spend stuff so my books are more valuable. So, yeah. So it's um, it's it's like you're, you know, it reminded me of almost how I thought Newton might be before I played it. <laughs> Um, but Newton is like a very solitaire game. This one is very much not solitaire. It is, a I think, a lot of player interaction because you're buying books from each other and because it's worker placement and because there is uh, limited students and professors. So basically, I think, depending on player count, is you put in the, the tiles that are students and the cards that are professors. And I think one person won't get a card if everybody goes for one. I think there's enough for all but one yeah. player in the game so there's sort of a rush for those as well so i don't know i i thought i i enjoyed it a lot i'm looking forward to more plays of it it did not disappoint me personally yeah i thought it was uh just okay actually the reason i say that is it actually reminded me of uh uh wow res arcana in a weird way not in the way the game plays necessarily but a lot of the game is I feel like uh, there's very little actually pretty much is there even anything there's nothing that reveals throughout the game at all no I don't yeah there's nothing no. there's absolutely nothing so this is like a really sharp contrast for me with their previous games because in uh, uh, what is it called Lorenzo and uh, Coimbra. Coimbra and even in the later games like uh, whatever Terramara. Terramara and Tekenu. There's a river of cards or there's new cards that come out which have technologies. There's kind of like a feeling of progression with through through cards. Um, and there's 
kind of like a discovery, I guess, which I really like in those games. And in Alma Mater, there's like no discovery whatsoever. Uh, the game is there from round one, and it's everything is basically doable technically. Obviously, you have to have enough resources to do it. But that's why I say it reminds me of Res Arcana. Is like Res Arcana, there's a discovery phase, which is the initial setup phase of just drafting cards. And then it's just kind of like playing those cards out for the rest of the game. Uh, very similar to Newton as well, yeah. but way more interactive than Newton. I agree, like, Newton was a really, really solitaire game to me. This feels really interactive, which actually kind of saves it, I think, because I would not like it very much if it wasn't interactive. Mm -hmm. But because of the interaction, I think it makes it at least interesting. Uh, we, there is a tiny expansion, actually, which we are supposed to order sometime soon, which uh, the students are always the same, which was kind of a surprise to me. The professors change, but the students are always exactly the same, which is another thing of like, wow, this game is going to be just kind of very They're just in a different... They're just in a different order is all which changes yeah, yeah. the game but but it's perfect information when you set up yeah like christo was saying the and only also, thing that's not perfect like information is is the yeah. maybe the books but you could predict that yeah the students are in different positions but like there's no new effect you know no I mean, yeah yeah it's not like uh Coimbra when some card might come out earlier or later. Right, I guess. right. And I guess in Coimbra the cards are always also the same, but they come out earlier or later, which makes it interesting. Um, overall, yeah, I, I look forward to playing it more. It was just kind of a weird one because actually I didn't really play with the physical components when reading the rules and I expected the students to kind of shift in some way and they don't. So yeah, the first round looks exactly the same as the last round. Just some things might be missing because there's uh, one less than the number of players so if you don't make it to a professor first and two other people take it it's not guaranteed that it will be there but yeah it's it's fun it's interesting i will play it more um kind of curious how i will feel about it after like five plays um kind of interested to see yeah the the, ex the mini expansion you're talking about it's called new students and it it just adds like I think it's two new stacks of students. It's, it's four. I oh, think. is it four? So but you pick one two, for each right? uh, section, so you have five. So it, now every game is going to be slightly different. Okay. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm excited to get it to add to it. I don't know if you would need it until after about like maybe three plays. Personally, I think. Mm. There's a lot yeah, of students, we'll you know. There's a lot of students, and I think. Um, one game won't let you memorize everything and let you try everything with the, with the students. Yeah, there's different there's different uh, paths to take. I, I, is what I'm trying to get at with the students and the strategy. And so I don't know how early you need to add them, but you know. Yeah, I think games will de develop differently depending on people's choices quite a bit. But it was just kind of weird that everything's basically the same from round one to round six exactly. Uh, just the things you can afford, they're different, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we should probably mention too, there's yellow meeples that are like um, that are just like temporary meeples that you can add to your 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 stack of meeples and you could use them for worker placement. But it's on, we thought that it was going to be like in every game, but it's on like, I think one or two professors and those just didn't come out. So those components just didn't exist in our game. Yep. Which was kind of weird because it seemed like they had a whole section for him, you know, in the rule book. <laughs> so I thought it was going to be something that was in every game. 
yeah. but uh, it so that might switch it up if a, that type of professor comes out but not much mm. yeah but yeah that's alma mater alright so that was some games that we've played so up next is some upcoming games All right, upcoming games. I actually bought games. Um, I have hadn't bought games for a while, and for some reason, uh, well, actually, I got a, a new credit card, I guess. And usually, the christening thing for the credit card <laughs> is like order games when I get it. <laughs> for some reason, it ends up being that way. I didn't really buy that many, but I bought like basically a box from uh, a certain retailer. And uh, a couple of them are, well, actually only one of them I'll talk about. The other ones I'll talk about when I play them, I guess. But uh, Search for Planet X is a game I bought, and I have uh, didn't actually know the game existed, or I think I saw it on Kickstarter and kind of ignored it or something. But I looked at the, what the game is because I was kind of curious because uh, it sounded interesting, just the title. And the, re- the beginning of the review, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like terrible (laughs) or just it sounded really boring but i kept listening and gradually from uh, thinking it's terrible i thought it was actually pretty awesome (laughs) so (laughs) we'll see which uh which way i swing after i play it uh it sounds like a really kind of simplified alchemists actually Uh, it's a pure deduction game that's why I i thought it sounded boring because it's a very kind of uh, boring theme. You're scanning the sky as astronomers to prove theories, to prove the existence of planet X, which is a theory that's actually real, that there's uh, some planet that's not discovered out there pretty far. It's like an elliptical orbit, I guess, and it's like 500 times the distance of Earth right now, supposedly, if it exists. I don't know what the technicalities of why we can't just, like, look there are. But, um, yeah, so anyway, your pure deduction game, there's a lot of uh, rules for where things can be, and you kind of get slowly more information by doing actions on a time track, actually, kind of like um, Australia or Patchwork or whatever, basically whoever's behind goes. And uh, learning different qualities of information basically costs different steps. And you start crossing things off, usually like in the not way, like most deduction games are, like this is not in this sector this is not in this sector so you buy these intersections eventually you find out what is in this sector and you can submit the theory about it and score points then that's pretty much the whole game is just like uh doing deduction and hopefully finding out where the planet is and that ends the game and uh scoring correct theories of what's in certain sectors of the sky uh, yeah, like I say, really boring sounding theme and horrible, but uh, <laughs> it's the the prospect of having alchemists, which doesn't take huge setup and effort to play over two and a half hours, um, sounds interesting to me. Some people are saying like, don't expect alchemists because it's kind of more way more simple than alchemists, but uh, just the prospect of a pure deduction game sounded really interesting to me, so that's why I uh, decided to get it. Uh, pretty cheap actually as well there's some upgraded components if I like it maybe I'll buy them as well uh, Kickstarter exclusives which end up ended up not being exclusives I guess <laughs> uh, the other thing that I actually backed this week is by the people who made in the whole of the Mountain King and Endeavor republished Endeavor I guess 
uh, Burnt Island Games, I think is what the company is called. Uh, they've just kind of impressed me with good games uh, lately. I really enjoyed in the whole of the Mountain King and Endeavor. Actually, it was really cool as well. Uh, it's called In Too Deep. Um, the theme of the game is really, really weird, actually. And I think the Kickstarter was a relaunch because the first one didn't do very well. I think they did some kind of better gameplay videos, probably, or just more better explained. I don't know. Um, kind of a weird theme, but uh, you're... Uh, there's these criminals running around in a city, uh, which the city is like eight sectors or whatever in a circle, kind of a rondelle, I guess. And uh, you can pick to hack into the mind as a, some kind of an organization that's not really a government organization, just kind of a dark organization or something. But um, you can hack into the mind of one of these criminals and you can like influence them to wit to uh, perform a crime or move in the city or whatever. And then depending on, I think you start getting like evidence and actually your ultimate goal is to expose this criminal mastermind and you kind of slowly submit evidence towards the master plan or whatever. So your goal is actually to be kind of on the, on the good side of things, but your methods might not be super well approved. Um, and actually, there's a mechanic where you can benefit from their crimes or something, if I remember correctly. It's a very weird game, so I don't know if uh, I really got everything, but it sounded like when you commit a crime, you get these cards where you can get some kind of benefits for yourself, uh, but then you also become more corrupt or whatever it's called. There's a number for corruption, basically, or something is called, uh, I don't know if it's corruption. Uh, basically, you becoming kind of more criminally minded. And at the end of the game, there's a mechanic where whoever has the most of that uh, suffers a kind of a... Uh, drawback and whoever has the least gets like a benefit so it's basically a corruption mechanic kind of like lords of Waterdeep, and i really like that actually in games um i wish more games had that going on because i think it's a really cool kind of like loans but it doesn't punish you based on just how many loans you have but how many loans you have relative to other people so it kind of makes uh game's very interesting because if someone's taking a lot of those corrupt actions they're pulling ahead and it kind of encourages other people to start doing those actions as well or it slows down the people that are doing the loan actions so kind of very interesting push and pull mechanic and it has that um it just sounded really cool it sounded uh it's a sci-fi themed game um i don't know if it's like amazingly the theme comes super amazingly well but the gameplay sounded really interesting actually so i backed it uh it's called into deep because if you have the most corruption or whatever you went too deep into the crime uh scene or whatever so that's the theme of the game so yeah that's it those are the games that i have so my upcoming games is uh, all expansions. And to start with 2009, a game called Tobago came out. In 2020, an expansion is coming. Are you serious? Yeah. The Tobago expansion is yeah. coming out? <laughs> yep. That's insane. They're gonna, are they going to reprint the base game? It's been out of print uh, for like five years. Oh, really? Uh, I haven't heard anything of that. So <laughs> that's, that's hopefully so they do. They're not just depending on people <laughs> having the old copies. Fortunately, I have this copy, thanks to Fristo, actually gifted it to me. Um, this is called Volcano. 
If you haven't played Tobago, it's like an adventure game and it's uh, not really not really deduction. You're trying to find treasure, but you and you and um, the other players and it's it's not cooperative, it's competitive. You and the other players are putting out cards for different treasures to pinpoint where they are. So you're creating um, where they're going to be by playing like a card that says it's not by a tree or it's within two of something. Anyway, uh, this adds a volcano, um, and pretty much you can play a card that breaks the rules, which you wouldn't be able to do in the normal game. Like if somebody put down it's by a tree, you couldn't put down not by a tree. Um, but in this case, you can, and then you cover up that card with a volcano card and says that you know it's by a volcano or not by a volcano or two spaces away from a volcano. So that's how it adds in the volcano into it but also lava is going to keep coming out as well so the board's going to be changing as you're playing and there's going to be more spaces for the treasure to be by lava so um, that's about what i got from the description uh, maybe there's more to it but no. um sorry yeah uh, go, go ahead Oh, that was it. But I'm looking forward to it because I do like Tobago and this does sound interesting enough. And I'm just like interested in uh, what an expansion looks like 11 years after it was put out. Yeah, I went on BGG just to read what people are saying and they're saying the same thing. Like, are you serious? Like an expansion after 11 years? And apparently the expansion was actually suggested 10 years ago. Uh, the guy, the designer submitted it to publishers. They just never published it. <laughs> so I don't oh. know. I'm not sure why they decided to finally publish it after 11 years. But also it sounds like a new version of the game is coming out okay. uh, with cosmetic changes, but no rules differences in uh, some time so yeah oh only in germany though weird i wonder if it's going to make it to the u.s the base game has been re-released in germany only in 2019 supposedly so very weird yeah i mean i'm looking at the expansion it adds a volcano by the way like a little volcano <laughs> piece uh piece you would hope so it's called volcano yeah <laughs> and um volcano tiles and cards uh, but cosmetically, it looks very similar to the original. Maybe I'm missing something, but it looks like it would fit with my copy. But that's what I was worried about. If they're going to release like a, an updated version of the game to match the the expansion, like is it going to look weird on on my end? Or are you going to know the mm -hmm. cards? I don't yeah, know. it looks the same actually, or acceptable anyway. If it's slightly yeah. different. Um, I don't think the lava cards will make a difference because I don't think those are ever in your hand. I think that's when you yeah. play a card that breaks the rule, then you grab one of those cards. It looked like they're available, and then you play it. And then it goes back to a pile of cards once the treasure's found. I think it should fit right in. Yeah, it should be fine. I think so. Shown in the base game, I think. So uh, another expansion I'm looking forward to, but very little information about it at the time, and it's not coming out till 2021. It's going to be on Kickstarter soon, is uh, Grand Austria Hotel Let's Waltz. Uh, this is from Lookout Games. And uh, it's five modular expansions that you can add to the game. And uh, it looks like the Kickstarter will have um, an add-on that will upgrade the components for Grand Austria Hotel. The cards that come with the expansion have the updated components on them. So like the cards, the guests, I, I guess you would call them, um, have cubes on them. 
but in this it has the actual upgraded components so that might kind of be a pain if you don't get the upgrade kit uh, this is actually something that I might back if you listen to the show previously you'll know that I really don't back a lot of games um, but this one I might because they're forcing me to uh, let me know actually because I might do it so we might just get it cheaper because it saves on shipping if we both do it at the same time because oh, yeah. I like the game as well and I have it too and one more uh, I just I have the welcome to expansion that's Halloween and I hope to play it someday with uh, with Risto and some other people um, it's just it it uh, adds in some new cards and a new sheet of paper and the theme is you're not building houses you're trick-or-treating sounds kind of cool uh, that's a pretty good candidate for Monday. I think you should suggest it. Uh, you will probably end up playing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Welcome to is just a flip and right game. Uh, we've all enjoyed it okay. And uh, yeah, I have. I also got the winter expansion too for when Christmas comes around. They have an expansion yeah. for every single season. <laughs> and yeah, I was going to say like, they have like 20 expansions now, I think. Yeah, they have a spring, they have a summer, they have a Halloween, they have a winter. They also have like an outbreak like zombies and they have like a have doomsday Vegas. oh that's a standalone that's oh. a standalone game on itself yeah but yeah then they have an uh like apocalyptic one uh, they all sound cool um i would try all of them but anyway that's it so on to our top three trick-taking games So I, I would say that there is a card games that some people might mistake in as trick taking. Now, there's shedding, there's climbing, then there's trick taking. And sometimes you'll get all three in one game. Some I think typically if you're playing a climbing game, almost always you're also playing a shedding game, but that's not so much as far as trick taking goes. You might also have some climbing in it maybe some shedding typically not but my list is just purely um trick taking i didn't include any shedding games or climbing games yeah uh i would say we've talked about it this previously but a lot of games kind of say they're trick taking and i think it's kind of a minor part of the game we actually played joracle last week which is an example of this i don't know how much there's trick taking in that uh, there's weird experiments like Radiant, uh, which is actually by Utah Designer. I played it randomly with him actually three years ago. Uh, there's where like the trick taking is part of the game. Actually, it's trick taking with a board, which um, is interesting. But and that that actually was a pretty pretty hardcore, I guess, more traditional trick taking game. Also, we talked about it with the tournament at Camelot, kind of a thing. I don't know how much of a trick taking game that is. I mean, it, it is, yeah. but it also kind of isn't because it's not very traditional. Um, also, gosh, I'm thinking of that city building game, not Kanagawa. It has some kind of a Japanese name like that, I think. I know what you're talking about. I don't know what it is. Anyway, yeah, there's a game where basically it's uh, has trick, take, 
trick taking as a c- category on BGG, and the trick taking is basically initiative. That's what yeah, it is. It's yeah. just you play for initiative. It's really I don't just think you even need to playing. match any colors or anything, or maybe there's a minor color matching thing, if at all. It's just kind of basically initiative, and I think that's really not trick taking. Um, but whatever, you know. Uh, people kind of stretch those categories pretty far, I think, sometimes. So my list is basically more kind of traditional leaning trick-taking games, for sure. Yeah, same. Uh, so what's trick-taking? If you've never played it before, you have a hand of cards. Somebody will typically lead. And depending on the game, there might be suits. And depending on the game, you might have to follow, but could play at a suit if you don't, if you're not able to. And basically, the highest card wins. But there's many variations on this. And there's some classic ones as well, but um, but also on my list are all designer games instead of the... Uh, I, I do like some classics that I'll mention in uh, my honorable mentions, but uh, yeah, most of them, all of them are designer games. So let's get into it. Number three. My number three is Net. N-Y-E-T. Uh, I believe it's Russian for stop or don't. Uh, just no. No, it's just no. That's right. <laughs> I guess you could say yet if you want to say don't too. Anyway. You should do it while you place the tokens at the beginning because that's the theme is like, no, no. Oh, no. I never put two and two together. Yeah, that's, that's why you're saying it's no. It's by Stefan Dora. Uh, originally published in 1997 i have the yellow version which was published in 2016 but yeah as fristo said there's a board and before the round starts you're going to be bidding for things that you don't want on in the game in the next round uh not necessarily bidding you're just putting tokens down but for instance there's um the top row which is who goes first so if i don't want Christo to go first i can put a token on his character that he's playing and, and say no <laughs> yeah or yet <laughs> <laughs> there's also like uh discard so you could say not to discard one or pass one there's um trump which in trick-taking games trump will take all um and then there's a super trump which are different colors of of ones and there's also points so if you you're, you're doing this after you look at your hand thankfully because you know what's going on you know what you're working with and you can uh, put down a token. Like, say you look you look at your hand and it's a really bad hand. So on your turn in the bidding phase, you put a token on the four. Like, I don't want each trick to be four points because I don't think I'm going to get a lot of points. Um, and then at the end of the round, once everybody has... Once every spot just has one spot left, then that's your round. So every round is going to be different. Now you know who the first player is whether you're passing cards or discarding cards how many points the tricks are are going to be and there's one spot that could be minus two so now you don't want to uh, win tricks so that's interesting a round could be trying not to take any tricks in any case the highest card wins it's um, very typical but you are playing with a partner and that does change from round to round as well i can't remember how i think maybe uh, you select it using the board actually kind of like Oh, no. No. Uh, the star player picks their partner, so it assigns in a five-player game that's who right. the partners are. That's yeah, right. That's how yeah. it is. Sorry. Yeah, in a four-player game, you would have uh, you would be partnered up with somebody they pick, and then the other two are partners. In a five-player game, it has a weird thing 
what that... the two people score like one more time or something it's kind of weird basically to even out the points. oh you double your points if you're playing by yourself yeah 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 yeah. if it's three three versus uh, three player game the single person gets a doubling card and every trick they take is worth that's right. exactly double so that's how it works um so yeah it's, it's an interesting game i think it would be higher on my list because i really do like it and i like the art and the cards are kind of funny i don't know if you could find sleeves for them but they're very skinny and long um but uh it would be higher on my list if it wasn't teams i know that there is a lot of trick-taking games that involve teams i'm not big on them because i just like don't want to think about what's in my I don't know. I just don't like teaming up with people in a competitive game, to be honest, because <laughs> you're not teaming up with them and you win together. You just share points that round and then you could switch and share points with another person. Yeah. So it's like kind of weird that I'm like, I'm doing good, but I'm also helping somebody else. So typically if you're like have the first player and you're going to pick your teammate, you're probably going to pick somebody that has lower points if you have a, a good hand and vice versa if you have a crappy hand i don't know that part of it i'm i'm not i don't get that excited about but uh regardless i still like the game and that's yet i actually think uh, i've played this game actually quite a bit it's actually not on my list because of well reasons but i really like the team mechanic but in the, it is weird in this game because in other games of this kind you are with someone for the whole game yeah so the teams never change it's really weird that the teams actually change in this one um actually i really kind of disliked uh playing we played it last time for a number of set number of rounds so like six or eight rounds or whatever if i can I can't remember exactly, but uh, it became such that the incentive to play for high points is kind of not there, and we basically never played for three two or minus two we always played for one or two points mm. <laughs> because the person in first place basically just tries to kill the variances uh, because they're kind of afraid that someone will explode and catch up to them so if someone's leading they always cover up the four points uh, yeah and it just really kind of makes it annoying and i really don't like it uh, people are actually saying that playing for until a point threshold fixes that for example to 100 points because if you have a really good hand you want to like cash in oh, yeah, but if yeah. it's a set number of rounds you're just trying to waste time basically to right. uh, just like waste time yeah because you're leading so you just want to like play for low points keep everything the same so it has really weird mechanics also actually by the way fun funny fun information throughout the years they've changed the board at the beginning you could actually have no trump basically just play without the trump uh, they removed it as an option because it ended up happening a lot and it was really boring <laughs> so i think they just like removed it uh, also i'm looking at bgg and some games don't have the minus two option so it used to be just one two three four but they included a minus two to make it interesting i guess as well uh there is a clever mechanic which uh, you didn't talk about there's like treasures there's zeros but if you take the other team zero it's worth a lot of it's worth a trick by itself so it's kind of a weird like chicken game of shedding zeros when your teammate is winning possibly they, i'm really looking at it on bgg the they have improved the art a lot <laughs> oh yeah the early editions are kind of yeah very 90s it almost uh, looks like sketches yep yeah but it's cool game yeah honorable mention of mine i won't talk about it i guess uh three for me is diamonds uh diamonds feels very kind of very like a 
traditional trick-taking game to me. Uh, if the game has one issue, I think it's because, well, card luck actually is an issue in that game. Uh, you can select to pass, I think, one or two cards only. Uh, so it's very limited mm -hmm. kind of how many cards you can pass after your cards are dealt. And I think if someone gets dealt a lot of diamonds, they kind of tend to win the game. That's just my observation from playing quite a few games of diamonds throughout time. Um, over the years, I guess. Uh, I actually played in a tournament at SaltCon as well. They kind of do it every year because it's a pretty easy game to pick up. Um, but it feels like a good uh, traditional trick-taking game. A uh, unique thing about it is every trick you play... What is it? Oh, yeah. If you win a trick, every suit has an action. And basically, it all has to do with points. And the points are diamonds, like literal, literal diamond tokens that either you put in front of you or behind the screen. Kind of more safe. Um, and doubled. So all of the... Tra uh, the tra uh, gosh, the suits have different actions to do with diamonds. Uh, maybe take them from a person or take them from the middle. And you do them if you win the trick or if you play a card which does not match the trick. So it encourages like a lot of shedding strategies because you want to possibly not match a very long suit that someone else is playing because you end up doing a lot of actions that way. So it's kind of very shedding strategy heavy. So if you like kind of shedding, meaning uh, shedding and trick-taking games, like getting rid of a suit completely so you don't have to follow when Sluffing, the suit is played. Right? Typically That's, called sloughing. Oh, sorry. Gosh, I keep calling it shedding, but really a sloughing, yeah. So, sorry, a very sloughing heavy game. So if you like sloughing and the, the like uh, strats around sloughing and maybe hearts or something, it's kind of a really cool game to play because uh, sloughing strategies can work very well in diamonds. Uh, but really cool game overall. Um, not really going to explain more than I already did. Uh, it's kind of very similar to hearts, but I think cooler uh, in a way. So that's diamonds. Yeah, I like diamonds. It's an honorable mention for me. I've played it a lot. Um, they could have called it sloughing the game. Actually, they could have just called it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Good game. Number two. All right. So we kind of have a crossover, except for we called it something different. So number two for me is Wizard. It was published in 1984. However, I have the U.S. Games System version. I thought it was earlier. Oh, it could have been. I got. I have 1984, but my copy huh. is 2009. Uh, let me just check on BGG what it says here. Oh, uh, there's also something in 1978. But I think that may not be. I'm thinking of Oh Hell, actually. Oh, which that's is also very similar, very similar to game. Yeah. So uh, Wizard is one of those games where you're 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 bidding how many tricks you're going to take. Uh, Wizard doesn't come with tokens. It really would benefit from it. I just use tokens from No Thanks, and you would put in how many tricks you think you're going to take, and you get points only if you take that many tricks. But the thing is, is you're starting with one card then the next round two and so forth and you're going way up and i think there's a version two where you go all the way up and all the way down that seems way too long though but anyway yeah. that's that's how you get points is you you have to be able to look at your hand and say i could take this many tricks 
And if you don't, you get nothing, right? As far as I remember. Uh, well, it's different rules, actually. I don't know about Wizard, but uh, in Skull King, I think, yeah, it's probably nothing or significantly reduced. Uh, yeah, if you get something. I can't remember exactly. It's been a while, actually. And that's Risto's number two, right? Is uh, Skull King, which I haven't played. Yeah, there's a copy of the game which is redesigned. Basically, the idea of the game is exactly the same. It might as well be the same game. The only difference between Wizard and Skull King, I think, is uh, Wizard is just pure cards, right? There's not nothing special, just pure cards, if I remember. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a deck of cards. Some of them yeah. have... Um, like a Trump type card and uh, and a zero type card where like you you're not gonna take the trick you're like guaranteed not to take the trick. I see, but yeah, the the game is exactly the same. You start from one to ten uh, tricks uh, and also cards dealt out to everyone, and you write down secretly how many you're uh, gonna take. Hopefully, <laughs> and hopefully everyone, and then everyone reveals, and obviously everything is really off because someone is like optimistic or pessimistic uh the difference between the games i think is only uh some cards skulking has like one through ten plus some special cards and it's been such a long time that i have done can't even remember how uh, they're played but they have to do with like pirate themed stuff so i can't remember their effects but basically they can do things to mess with the valuation of cards to maybe get you out of situation or stick someone else with a extra trick or something and there's an interesting gameplay around them so it's not just purely the numbers or about the numbers you can kind of shift things around if you're holding one of those special cards which uh can help you or just ruin someone else's life but um yeah kind of very similar games i really liked it i only played it like two times and i played someone else's copy and i bought my own copy and we haven't played it since so i feel like maybe i should bring it sometime so we can actually play it <laughs> but i really liked my like two plays of it back in the day um i should say there's a u.s version which is actually published i think by oh I thought it was actually someone from Salt Lake, but I don't think so. It might be a different Beck. <laughs> so it's called Grandpa Beck's Skulking, and they, I think he has like a copyright on it or something, but you can import a version from Canada or Europe, which has, I think, better art, in my opinion. And also some card is different, or there's a slight rules difference as well. Um, but anyway, European version, I think, is cooler. Uh, you can probably get it from Canada as well. So that's Call King, yeah. Uh, I think All Hell is also very similar. I haven't looked at it, but I've heard basically it's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. I think my wife played it and was uh, telling me that it was very much like Wizard. Um, so in Wizard, I looked it up. This is the point system. So after you determine the winner, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So if you got exactly matched your bid, then you get 20 points plus 10 for each trick taken. If you missed your bid, you lose 10 points for each trick that was off. Actually, I'm looking at BGG Skulking, and yeah, that's exactly what it says. So, okay, yep. so yeah, they're, yep. the, they're the very, very similar. So yeah, uh, Wizard for me, Skulking for Hristo, which is funny because I've never played Skulking and you've never played Wizard, right? <laughs> yeah. But we sort of played the same game. We should <laughs> share uh, games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, bring them. All right, moving on. Number one. 
All right, my number one is a game that came out in 1993 and actually wasn't available in the States until this year. Capstone Games released it, and it's Stick'em. Stick'em is what I would call a take-that trick-taking game. Sounds awful, right? I actually really enjoy it, obviously. It's my number one. So it's really interesting game in the fact that you would lead with a suit, but you don't have to follow. Um, even if you can, you you don't have to follow. So here's an example of a hand. Christo plays a green nine. Justine plays a green ten. Matt plays a yellow five. So he's broken suit. So what that means is, is the lead suit will not take the trick. All right. The highest of the broken broken suits will. So even if I play a red 12, I'm taking the trick. And it's just evaluated in the suits that did not lead. That's how it's played. However, you have a pain suit. So when you get dealt your hand of cards, you pick a pain suit, you put it face down in front of you, and you and then everybody reveals so you know what everyone's pain suit is. And so you're trying to avoid your pain suit because the tricks that you take that involve your pain suit at the end of the round you will score face value for everything of that color. Otherwise, all the other colors are going to score you one point each regardless of their face. So you can get in situations where you could kind of make people take tricks. And they're sloughing too. So again, situation, my paint suit's a green. Christo plays a green, leads with a green. Somebody breaks suit. I'm guaranteed not to take any greens if I follow the, the, the lead. So I could slough a high card, a 12, and it's not going to take because it was lead. So also sloughing involved. I like the, the mean nature of this game. I typically don't like take that games. I don't like super mean games, but in this one, I do. Um, I got a chance to play this a lot because my in-laws really like trick-taking games. They grew up playing hearts and spades and such. And they would play it like every year when they get together. And I introduced this game to them and they just like took to it so much. Like, and they wanted to play it all the time. And I never got sick of it. I actually, the more plays, the more enjoyable it became. And the more I switched up my strategy, you know, because the card that you put down as your pain suit, you're also going to score those in negative points. So you think that you want to play, oh, there's a zero, by the way, in it that doesn't take tricks no matter what. And so you're, if you have a zero, you're maybe thinking, oh, I want to play the, the zero down. But zeros are so good for getting out of your pain suit. Also, my thought process was I want to pick a pain suit that I don't have a lot of. But I found the strategy is way better if you pick the ones that you have the most of because you have more control rather than you know that other players have your pain suit in their in their hands. Another thing that I really like about this game that Justine actually complained about Tournament at Camelot <laughs> is that all the all the cards are in, in players' hands. So you know that the, oh, yeah, that those yeah, cards yeah. exist. Depending on players you have um you might take out suits or take out different values. But you adjust it for player count so the deck that you're playing with that game is going to get dealt out to everyone. So I really do enjoy that too. There's no mystery. Is that card in? Is that card out? Which I don't like when they do in trick-taking games either. But that's why it's my number one stick-up. 
Yeah, Stickum is a good game. Um, honorable mention for sure. Yeah, um, it's a little bit take daddy. I thought it was more clever when I played it first, and then I still think it's a pretty clever and fun game. It's just kind of more like leaning towards family game than I thought it was going to be the case. But it's I always enjoy it, actually. Oh, I, I should also realize mention... you played it so much. Huh? Yeah, I played it a lot. Um, I should also mention that it's Keesley and Kramer. Yeah. Yep. Uh, pretty cool game. I think it's actually was that something that originally came out a long time ago i think it yeah did, so like it came 90s, out in 1993 anyway. but it wasn't yeah. available into this in in the states until this year we played a one of one of our friends had it had like the german copy that's how we played it before it came yeah. out yeah it's been published in us now but yeah yeah um so i actually went really traditional in my first pl place pick i think uh like i say it's one of those games that are out there which are played with regular face cards and it's a uh, bulgarian bridge belot um so there's actually the game is really belot that's what we call it we don't call it bulgarian blade bridge belot in bulgaria uh everyone just calls it belot uh but there's a regional variation of belot uh, the original game is actually french uh, it's spelled B-E-L-O-T-E, -E, if you want to look it up. Um, we don't really play the French version. It's called, like, Bridge Belot. I don't know why, but I was reading through the French version rules, and, yeah, I think there's some slight differences here and there. The scoring seems a little bit different. I don't know what the differences are exactly. It's been actually a long time since I've played. But... Um, I've never played Bridge either, so maybe a Bridge is a very similar game, I think, in concept where uh, a lot you kind of, uh, it's a team game as well, So, but you're with a teammate for the whole game, and it's strictly four players. I think there's variations where you can play with more or less players. I think they completely fail, so you should pretty much only play Belot with four players and just kind of avoid any weird variations. It's a four-player game, and you play pairs, uh, you play with a teammate, and then there's other the other two people are on the team as well um so the game kind of starts with the bidding section uh bid, bidding section bidding phase i guess you can say uh th the you're bidding on uh gosh the the suit actually kind of is what you're bidding on you're not really bidding the number of tricks you're gonna win you're just at uh, the trump uh, and there's kind of a raising mechanic where it kind of goes around the table and you can raise there's a, a hierarchy of trumps uh where I, like spades for example is the highest one so and clubs is the lowest so someone can say like clubs and then someone can say like diamonds and you can't go back to clubs because it's lower so also no trump and all trumps and actually the trump changes the order of the cards so no longer is the ace the highest actually the jack and the nine become the highest so it like reorders the cards uh priority but just for the trump so it it's really, really weird. Uh, also, by the way, you take out the six, four, three, twos, so you play only through seven for some reason. Um, I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. So, kind of a smaller deck. Uh, that actually kind of happens with. I've noticed quite a few uh, face card games. So I don't know uh, what it's called, like a reduced deck or something, or a thirty-two card deck. I'm looking at Wikipedia as I'm talking. Um, but uh yeah and then you just kind of play um the game is very interesting and it's points uh, you score points in the end and everything is valued 
in a, some weird way. So certain like values of cards are valued differently. The trumps are valued differently as opposed to the regular suits. Maybe there's also a really weird phase, which I'm not sure I like, but it's a feature of those older kind of card games. It's kind of a declarations phase. So you might get actually quite a few points because you got dealt uh, some really good cards and you're just holding like a set of cards. So you can declare that you have like four nines and get 150 points, which is absolutely insane. But I mean, that's kind of part of the game, I guess. And you just kind of keep playing. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the point target officially is. I think people play to like a thousand points, 500 points, whatever they want to do. You just play multiple rounds until someone wins. Um, yeah, uh, really, really cool game. Why is it cool? I think it's just uh, there's a lot of really weird rules, but I think it's just awesome and uh, kind of what every trick-taking game should aspire to be, even with the leftovers of kind of weird set collection concepts. It's almost like you're playing Mahjong or something uh, with these uh, declarations. I think they're called like Yaku in Mahjong. I've looked at Mahjong and I've never played it, but um, basically it's almost like a set collection thing. Just get points because you just got sets at the beginning of the game. Um, I actually was looking at BGG and they have a Balot, the French version, and uh, some people actually play it occasionally. I've thought about playing it, but I need to reread the rules. I'm kind of curious what the differences are actually versus the Bulgarian version. But uh, yeah, really cool kind of partnership bidding trick-taking game. Um, I also should probably try Bridge sometime, but uh, it seems like for some reason Bridge has the reputation of a lot of old people like playing it. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Might be really good then. It's to the test yeah. of time. You know, I, I really do like um, traditional trick-taking games. I haven't played enough. I would like to play more. I actually didn't grow up playing trick-taking games. In fact, the hobby of board games introduced me to trick-taking, and I've, I kind of fell in love with it. Um, some honorable mentions would be Pinochle. I used to play Pinochle a lot in the when I first was introduced to trick-taking games years back and uh, would play it on my phone. Um, but I would have to reread the rules for it because I remember it being kind of yeah. uh, kind of different. Like there's the meld, which I cannot remember. I know it's like a run of uh, of cards that are going to score you points as well. But you're you're also bidding for what the trump is going to be, and I think you're bidding for, with your points. But it's also a team game. But I really enjoyed it when I was playing it. I'd like to get back to playing it. Um, but there's a lot. There's a lot of classic trick-taking games out there. I went down a rabbit hole and and was finding all these games that uh, that just did just a regular deck of cards um, altered, like like Christo's number one, like Pinnacle's altered too. Like you could play it with two decks uh, combined, uh, two two decks of 50, 52 cards, but then stripping all twos and eights which yeah hmm. so a lot of those classic trick-taking games are going to take regular decks of cards or multiple and then have you kind of uh manipulate it a little bit but yeah i need to play more classic trick-taking games and i would like to play the one you're talking about too christo and bridge has always been on my yeah. my to-do list as well 
I was going to say, basically, I grew up, and if you go to Bulgaria or actually Eastern Europe, I think Bulgaria in particular, I don't know about other countries, but uh, everyone plays this game, like literally everyone for some reason. I don't know how it's so popular, but people like grow up with it, and basically anytime it's like uh, you're out in the mountains in a cabin or something, basically that's what you play, (laughs) and that's just the way it is. Ah, so it's Uh, your guys' Monopoly Huh? It's your guys' monopoly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That says a lot about play Americans. Backgammon. Backgammon is also kind of popular, but I think this is like the card game in the country. Like everyone kind of knows how to play with it. Uh play with it. Play it. Yeah. Uh they play with some slight, I think, variations. I mean, mostly people just not knowing the rules, I think, because they're like mm-hmm. a lot of people are just taught like verbally and they don't the game's really complicated and they never actually read like paper rules for it. Right. So there's like corruption. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, there's kind of a telephone effect right yeah but uh yeah it, uh, pretty much everyone plays the game and i think actually someone there was an online place where you can play like specifically bulgarian bridge bilata was looking around on the internet a while ago i don't know how popular it is but i think the charm of it is kind of playing in person anyway not really online so how how far up uh, is is on your list of like trick-taking games is it pretty far up there do you enjoy them a lot and do you think this, like, growing up playing this particular trick-taking game, like, planted that seed? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, and I really like trick-taking games probably because of that. Yeah, it just kind of reminds me of the times of just kind of memories throughout right. growing up and throughout time. <laughs> uh, so I just enjoy kind of the feeling of trick-taking games because of that, and specifically actually leaning towards kind of four-player team trick-taking games which i feel like don't really exist as much in the board gaming hobby for some reason uh Niet is pretty much the only one and a lot of the uh the trick-taking games that are traditional are uh, partnership yep, trick-taking that is true. Games with four players that's kind of the classic setup for a trick-taking game i think i will mention too and i don't know if it's an honorable mention but it could be uh guritama i actually got to play and i, I don't think it really deserves um like to be in games played but i did want to mention it here it was just i found it actually very interesting it was just kind of different you're just um you're trying basically not to take the last trick it doesn't matter if you take tricks throughout the round like we just push the cards aside it literally doesn't matter what matters is who takes the last trick you don't want to you would you if you take the trick um your scoring points equal to the card that you played that took the last trick and points are bad. Um, so basically the whole round is you're you're setting up to have the lowest card in your hand. And in fact, if you have the lowest card in the game, which is a one, you force everyone to score their cards that their last card played, including your own, but it's just one point. So I, I found it I I found it like pretty interesting. It's different enough. I don't know about the theme. One player yeah, we I was played with, say, like, did it new. have jiggly uh, egg yolk butts on uh-huh. the cards? Yeah, and like little, <laughs> they're like every card is like a little comic strip of Guritama. <laughs> and we played it with my friend Nick, and he actually knew what it was. He said Guritama, and he actually showed oh me a picture gosh. of him <laughs> and his wife with Guritama at an anime convention. And I was like, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that is amazing, actually. If you're into Guritama, don't expect theme because you're just playing a trick-taking game. But you could sit there and read all the cards because they're comic strips and 
it could have a lot of theme for you as far as like while you're waiting to take your turn which isn't very long though yeah the comics are extremely weird to say the least but yeah it's quick it it's just like whoever meets or exceeds 21 points the game stops and whoever has the lowest points wins it's like really fast but yeah i I should show you sometime i'd like to hear your thoughts on it it's simple (laughs) but it's like it's it has some some interesting interesting thought processes there of like how do i get rid of my high cards and keep my low card oh um i forgot to mention that if you it, it is also in one of the only games that i've personally played which is um climbing and trick taking so if somebody who it's you have to meet or exceed the highest card on the table and if you can't you or if you don't want to you can play your lowest card which is bad right you don't want to get rid of your low cards yeah there's actually uh, that's not very commonly seen in trick-taking games but in Belot there's a mechanic where you have to play uh, a higher card uh, sometimes when I think it's when your partner is leading uh, you have to play a higher card of the suit if possible so I think that's kind of really interesting uh, and it doesn't really exist in most trick-taking games yeah I don't know why I didn't mention it because that is like without that it would it would not been an interesting game whatsoever but because you have to meet or exceed or play your lowest card i found it very interesting so yeah um i just wanted to mention actually fox in the forest is a cool game only two player it reminds me a lot of a game called uh we called it santa say in bulgarian but it's actually called 66 i guess so maybe that's uh, like spelled out or the actual number uh, I think it's like just uh, spelled out 60 6. That's how I found it in Wikipedia, actually. Uh, very similar game where uh, you're trying to get this called 66 because you're trying to get 66 points uh, using a scoring mechanic. They call it some kind of a marriage game or something because there's a lot of uh, these, again, sets of just. Uh, you got dealt a queen and a king of the same uh, suit, so you show one of them and you score like 20 points or something if it's the trump. <laughs> so basically you score points for, they call them like marriages, I guess, whatever, by just showing them in addition to playing a trick-taking game. Uh, the reason it reminds me of Fox in the Forest is it's the same. You deal people six cards and there's a draw deck and there's actually a trump that's showing and there are mechanics where you can exchange the trump actually uh, as well. So so you play a, just a two-player game is what it is. And if you think you have 66 points, it's kind of a weird mechanic. Uh, I think you can, uh, or that you can achieve 66 points. You can just like choose to end the game early and you like flip the trump over or something and you play out your hand and hopefully you get 66 points. They're really weird mechanics, but Fox in the Forest, I think, is heavily influenced by that game. Obviously very redesigned because it has unique player powers but that's a cool trick taking game for two players honorable mention i used to play a game called 358 which is actually very simple and kind of fun actually uh basically what you do is you deal out a deck of cards and you leave four out and uh the dealer calls a trump out and picks up the four cards and they have to get eight tricks the first player has to get five tricks and the second player has to get three tricks and that's the game you uh, just you just play uh the person who has to get eight uh they have four extra cards so they kind of have a benefit and they call out the trump as well so they can really kind of control the game 
uh, and you play multiple rounds, I think you play for points. But very simple game. I played it quite a bit, uh, specifically a three-player game, kind of a weird one. You can't play with two or four or anything. It's three because it's called three five eight. Uh, apparently, there's other variations. Uh, all work. Uh, may, uh, apparently, it's also called Sergeant Major in the UK. It's popular or whatever. I don't know in the military. But three five eight. Um, Indulgence actually was really cool. That's an honorable mention. Indulgence is a game where you have variable kind of conditions of what you must do. I'm surprised, Brandon. Actually, you didn't mention the crew. Because uh, it's like very similar to the crew. Uh, the crew is com- uh, co- co- cooperative. Indulgence is competitive. So there's someone who basically kind of, kind uh, kind of a push your luck mechanic. Basically, like someone commits to doing the thing that they have to do, which is something like take the last three tricks or something of the round. And if you do it, there's a mechanic where you get rewarded. I'm not going to get into it, but kind of cool. It uh, doesn't have good reviews for some reason, but I really enjoyed uh, my play of it. I only played it one time, so maybe it gets old. Uh, Nokosu Dice is a game with promise. I think uh, we oh, only played yeah. it a few times, but it's a really cool game, I think. Uh, yeah, with trick-taking with dice mixed in. So and drafting. You have, like, part of your hand is visible as dice, so you can kind of see what people can respond with. Uh, really strange and there's a clever i guess scoring mechanic as well yeah the last dice um in front of you you can't play your last die and that is going to be the what you score i can't remember exactly how many tricks i think you have to have and if you're over under again you get some kind of a penalty yeah yeah that game did, did have a lot of potential actually yeah, I think if we play it more times, it could be cool. Also, it seemed a little bit chaotic as well because people can force you to play certain dice out and kind of control your fate as far as tricks go. But yeah, it was interesting. I would play it again. Uh, obviously, Hearts. I mentioned Hearts. Hearts is yeah. a classic game. You should play Hearts if you uh, if you didn't grow up in the 90s with uh, Windows, <laughs> where I played most of my hearts, you should uh, play hearts. I think it's popular in the States, too, because, yeah, all of my in-laws played hearts religiously. Um, I <laughs> yeah. think the reason why I didn't mention the crew is because I've only played it two-player, and I haven't played it that much. I, I, only, I, I think we sat down and played like five missions back-to-back, and then that's it. Uh, I need to get it back to the table. I need to play it with more than two as well. Yeah, I think two-player would be really weird in that game. I think it's uh, also like a four-player game kind of. There's a variant for the two-player where you're there's a there's an exposed hand down, and uh, the leader can plays for them, but you could like discuss. So I think it's like it feel it felt a little easier because of that because there was some open information rather than just like everybody not showing their hand. Maybe. And the fact that you mentioned 66 is solidifies that you're Cult of the Old because that game is 305 years old. <laughs> it came out in 1715. Yeah, most traditional trick-taking games are actually like 200 years old. Yeah, so, yeah that's yeah, true. That's just kind of how it is. Yeah, if you look up uh, 66 and go to the 1715 one, it's called something else. Schnapsen? Yeah, it probably came from Germany. Yeah, yeah. The cards are really, really weird. Like, I think they're regular cards, but in, but they have different suits. Like, they have, like, acorns and, like, leaves. And instead of having numbers on them, you actually yeah. would have to count the, you know. 
actually I've never known this because I assume that it's pretty standardized by now. But if you look up card decks uh, and like trick taking card decks, there's actually card decks which are popular in certain places and they have really weird suits like batons and like bells and stuff. And yeah. like I was like, are you serious? People actually still play with those. But I guess uh, the suits were never standardized as much as I thought. And certain regions of like Italy and France uh, prefer their weird suits, which are not clubs and spades and whatever they're like like i say uh, like really really weird yeah uh you i found some maps somewhere you can look it up if you're curious but leaves even today, and I acorns guess popular decks yeah yeah and and you know cards like way back in the day and that's what i'm thinking i'm looking at here n didn't have numbers you would just like know by how many of the suit is on there you know so like if it was a five weird. of clubs it would just be five clubs instead of having a number on it Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The numbers were just kind of not as visible. And also, Tarot is actually technically a trick-taking game. There is a game you can play with Tarot cards, which also is on BGG. I've been kind of curious. Didn't sound super interesting when I briefly looked at it. But that uses apparently uh, one of these weird suit sets with like bells and <laughs> weirdness for some reason. So just kind of really weird trivia there. Yeah, that one is what uh, fourteen thirty on BGG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a designer game. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> All right, we'd like to thank you for listening and remind you that we have a website, www.cardsandcubes.com. You can contact us there as well. We'd like to thank. Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. You can find more of her art on Instagram at catcoffee.com. That's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. -E. Cards and Cubes is a production of Pod Cauldron. Find some other great Pod Cauldron podcasts like Club Club, a horror movie podcast, and Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events. And we will be back in a couple of weeks.